Expounded Universe, Season 10, Episode 4. He's dead, I reckon. The book, Han Solo at Star's End by Brian Daly. The year, 1979. With your hosts, Jeff and John. Let's go! Welcome back to Expounded Universe, where your first Star Wars book review is always free. I'm your host, Jeff, joined as always by my other host, John. John, say hello to the fine people and say something funny. Hello, fine people. You ever fart? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much what I was hoping for. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> so, uh, how are you doing? I haven't talked to you in a couple of days. Uh, you know, things are, things are all right. It's, uh, it's getting real hot out here. Uh, same here, same here. I mean, I'm sure it's not as bad. I would know. I actually did drive to Santee today to drop off the next book for you. Yeah, but like it's been up in the 90s for the past couple days, so uh, it's very nice that we have some AC. That is exceptional to hear. Yeah, I uh, we have three little plastic pools that are set up for that are sages, mm-hmm. and we're we're talking. We have talked about it and finally did it today. Set up all three of them so she could anywhere she goes in the yard. There's just another pool there. Hmm, hmm, hmm. I thought you were going to say you set up all three of them and then all three of you got a different pool. <laughs> I don't think Sage would tolerate that. Get out of here. Those are my pools, you two assholes. <laughs> uh, but no, she's just she's just set up so that she can uh, roam free from pool to pool. And, you know, she's two and she's scared of water still a little bit. So mostly what she does is she runs into a pool, stands in the exact center of it shivering, and then tries to drink from the little sprinkler things that are that are set up to, around the rims of these modern pools. <laughs> I mean, she's not really trying to pretend to swim or whatever she's just standing still and being like i'm in one inch of water yeah but it's still completely adorable oh of course while i was in santee today which is uh for folks who aren't in the know that's john's neighborhood uh, i stopped by the barbecue restaurant that's there uh phil's which is pretty much the best san diego barbecue and it's you know a terrifying ghost town right now because of the pandemic yeah but you know good food hmm. did you actually get anything or did you just oh. stop and look no, I got stuff. I mean, like I said, the place is a ghost town. There were three people in front of me, uh, and all of them were Uber drivers. Well, yeah, I'd assume so. Yeah, I had, I, you know, I had my good mask and uh, time to kill, so I figured it's worth it to get some reasonable food and bring it back to the house. Because if I ate another survival turkey sandwich, <laughs> I hear you, man. I hear yeah, you. You know what I'm, you know what I'm all about. I do. So, <laughs> so Star Wars, huh? How about that, that Star Wars? How about them Stars Wars? What's going on in Star Wars? Anything exciting? Oh, well, so much exciting. Yeah, so much excitement going from here to there. Uh, this chapter, well, like we, should, we might as well talk about how the last chapter ended first, just so we can kind of get ourselves positioned. Yeah, when last we left our heroes, uh, mm-hmm. they had escaped under cover of daylight in the biggest harvester in town. Yeah, they were all jumping on board the Super Harvester, some sort of colossal harvest robot that uh, Blue Max had been controlling, to effect their escape. Unfortunately, Chewbacca had voluntarily thrown away his freedom so that others may escape. Yeah, he got into a tussle with a bunch of the Espos, fell off the Harvester, and that was that. Mm-hmm. And he's been captured and dragged away. Han went to try and rescue him, but was given a significant nerve punch by Recon, uh, who was a character we were introduced to in the last episode. Recon being smart enough to realize that Chewbacca was not willing to throw his life away in vain, and that Han could just rescue him later. Yeah, he's like, look, if you go over there, you're both screwed. But if you leave, then you've at least got a chance to rescue him. And not so, only that, if, if if you're both screwed, then we're all screwed, too, because none of us know where your ship is or how to fly it. Yeah. So it's a, it's a good thing that Recon managed to punch him square in the special don't go anywhere button. Uh, but we start the new chapter with Han kind of shaking himself to his senses, and uh, he's already on board the Harvester, and other people are running along to catch up and get on board the Harvester as well. Yeah. I mean, once everybody gets on board, Han at least at that point has managed to calm down to where he's like, all right, fucking, I gotta, I gotta get shit under control. And he's going to go up to blue max and be like, Hey, this is where we're headed. Cause you know, mm-hmm. you don't know where my ship is, but also right. 
hey, can you program this shit to do things after we're gone? And I appreciate Blue Max's response, because Blue Max is like, yeah, that's what this thing is. It didn't have a Blue Max in it until you put me in here. Yeah, like, uh, it, it's it, dumb, it's just, <laughs> but it's yes. It just goes in big pre-programmed circles. I mean, it's a harvester. What do you want? But, I mean, I guess I can program whatever circle you want in here. And he's like, great. I need <laughs> you to have it head towards, like, the civilian vehicles, because I want the Espos to think that we are trying to escape in one of those rather than a barge where, you know, they assume they are all just barges. Yeah, so for the moment, they still have anonymity in terms of what ship they came in on, so all the Espos must be assuming that they came in on some civilian ship, and now they're going to try to escape in one. And Han doesn't want to disabuse them of the notion, so that's the next plan. Now, there is a problem in the way, which is that the ship is, or the uh, shipyard is protected by a force field. Indeed, but thankfully... <laughs> This big-ass harvester can be like, yo, what is that, some sort of force field generator? Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. So, basically, Blue Max just points the harvester at the force field. There's towers that are that are up along the perimeter of the, uh, of the shipyard that are keeping the force field in place. Uh, and he just drives right through the towers with the harvester's blades turned on and chops the towers down. Now, there is still a point where they're driving through heavy electricity, but luckily, for safety reasons, the harvester is equipped with insulation zones. Yeah, so everybody just sort of stands on some insulated metal and uh, is like, cool, I'm glad that this is here. Yeah, <laughs> and then Han has them all jump off, and the harvester goes off towards the main spaceport. Indeed. I appreciate I appreciate this Han, uh, because in a lot of the other books that we've read, when when trouble befalls our characters, they hash it out immediately and for a chapter. Yeah, I mean, again, the fact that this is a shorter book is mm -hmm. great because you can't just dwell on dumb nonsense. But also, I really like Han in these chapters, especially when compared to the last chapters, because we get sort of all of the bits of Han where, like, yes, he can be very clever and, like, know what he's doing and competent at things, but also he is overly competent sometimes and gets clowned on. So it's it's nice to see him have both represented. Like, yeah, the character no, is very well done. He's not exactly the smartest person in the room all the time here, and I appreciate that. It, it, we don't have to constantly hear about how good he is at cards or, or anything. Yeah. Uh, it's just, we get one line about how badass he is later on in the chapter where he uses his starfighter's reflexes for something, but mostly he's just flying by the seat of his pants, which is what you want Han to be doing. Oh, yeah. No, this, I think, definitely gets uh, the characterization of Han Solo much better than a lot of the other things. And I think a lot of it is because what we've had a lot so far is much more of the show don't tell. So, yeah. you know, we see Han doing stuff and acting in certain ways rather than the book just saying like, oh, he's very good. Don't worry about it. Yeah. I, I, uh, I also appreciate that... Uh... When he comes to on the harvester, he's like, yeah, you know, I'm really mad at Recon, but that's a problem for, you know, Tuesday Han. Right now, I got to survive. Yeah. Which is uh, a good, rare thing for, uh, for for Han Solo in these kind of books. Uh, they get on board the harvester, and there's a new problem. Yes, indeed. Because, you know, nobody knew they weren't just a grain barge, so now the barge shell is completely filled with grain. <laughs> yeah. You'd think that they'd have like a Han Solo's worth amount of grain that didn't fit, not a Han Solo, a Millennium Falcon size amount of grain that didn't go in that they would have expected normally would. But luckily, I doubt they packed these things completely to the rafters. Yeah, I assume it was just, what is this? We have an auto filler and we don't care what size barge you have. It just goes until it's full and then it shuts off. Yep. And uh, in this case, that's what happened. So now they have a barge full of grain, luckily still with an umbilical that connects to the outside from Han Solo's ship, so they can get inside it without having to wade through wheat. Yeah. So the problem with that is, though, they can't exactly just, like, take off super quick, because now they're like, well, we got to actually take off about the same speed this fucking barge would, because we are full of grain. Yeah, they're like, oh, crap. Well... We didn't expect to be carrying 3,000 tons of grain, so we're going to slow down a little bit on the way out. Uh, I mean, I do like, like that, you know, the tower 
assumes that this is still an automated barge and is like trying to give it commands to stay down. And then Han just sends back the signal of like, yes, I have received the command to leave. He's like, yeah, I'll just make him think they're dealing with a faulty barge as well as everything else right now. <laughs> I like the idea that they would actually fall for that. Like, oh, man, all these alarms went off. Random prisoner or, or uh, escapees tried to randomly escape. And one of our barges just took off for no reason. <laughs> uh, and, you know. That doesn't really fly for very long, because the second they get out of Atmo, there is that ship that he saw on the way in and couldn't care about because he didn't yeah. have time. Yeah, there was a point where, where <laughs> in the previous episode, where Han had a moment where he was like, oh, I thought I saw something on the sensors. I, I could have sworn there was a ship over there, but not really. And and uh, it turns out, yes, there was. There's a big-ass authority picket ship in the atmosphere. They just haven't had a chance to, uh, or they just hadn't happened to see them yet. And here they come now, all kinds of pissed off and responding to the crisis. And they immediately put this giant tractor barge into a, in, into a uh, or sorry, this giant barge into a tractor beam scenario. Oh, yeah. And this is a huge murder ship, like bristling with guns, multiple tractor beams, like, this is probably the uh, corporate authority version of a Death Star. No, not a Death Star. Star Destroyer, sorry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep, yep, that's, that, that's right. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's the combination of the two, the Death Star Destroyer. Oh, no, it destroyed my Death Star. <laughs> I guess the Millennium Falcon itself is kind of a Death Star Destroyer. Indeed, and Luke's X-Wing. Yeah. Yeah, and Wedge's X-Wing. Yeah, and my yeah. X-Wing. And, and Ralph's X-Wing. And Bill's X-Wing. Oh, we went in different directions, but I like yours as well, too, so it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> now they're being tractored by a picket ship, and Han's like, hey, everybody, kind of brace yourselves and what have you, because this is going to suck. Go get in the weapon emplacements. But realistically, he knows... No amount of weapon emplacements are relevant here. They're already in the tractor beam, and this ship could take whatever they shoot at them and not notice. And oh, a yeah. couple shots from its guns will kill them all. No, and he's just like at this point going, "Well, you know, if I'm if I'm going down, I'm not going to let them take me alive. I'll at least do some damage before they blow me up." I mean, if I'm gonna go down, then sugar, I'm going down swinging. Nice. Mm -hmm. Hey, hey, nice. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, uh, but luckily for him, as he's getting tractored, he notices something that chunks of his ship are breaking off and floating up to the inside of the barge shell uh, because they're being affected more directly by the tractor beam than the bulk of the ship itself. And this gives him an idea. So he <laughs> hits a button and just dumps 3,000 metric tons of grain into space. Yeah, he's got a uh, little explosive emergency things to just drop the barge shell so he's like he all right well stages. they're a, they've got the tractor beam on the barge shell technically because that's what's on the outside so if i just blow out the shell i'll have an ass load of grain and a shell that it is attracting rather than the millennium falcon yeah, so he does it in stages. The first thing he does is blow the back hatch of the uh, barge off so that just an insane amount of grain goes floating out into space. There's like a giant brand new nebula made of pre-bread, and that just flies up and coats all the sensors and tractor beam arrays and weapons and everything of the picket ship because they were tractoring it. Oh, yeah, because uh, it just because the tractor beam is there, it shoots grain directly at it because they're yeah. like, oh, we had this set to like, pull a giant barge, and then little moats of grain are going to go way faster than that. I mean, first of all, that's inventive and very fun. Uh, the the grain goes flying up and coats the ship, but the ship doesn't really care, because fuck it, it's just wheat. They just keep coming, and that's when Han's like, alright, guys, this is going to get real bumpy, and then he blows the entire barge shell off the Falcon. Yeah, and it works wonderfully for several reasons. One, because it's locked onto that, they can actually leave. And mm -hmm. two, because the grain has messed up their sensors and their viewports and whatnot, the ship actually ends up running directly into the barge shell that blows up, so they probably assume that they just 
ramming speed whoever was there and destroyed them. Yeah, they they aren't they can't be sure that they managed to uh kill whoever was in the barge shell, but they have to assume they did because the whole concept of it being a barge costume around a regular spaceship has been a secret this whole time. Yeah. And this didn't necessarily reveal the the uh the truth behind that lie, especially no. because the other ship's sensors are completely coated in grain. Oh yeah, no, they were able to leave without the other ship being able to know that the Falcon was there. So, I mean, they managed to get about as clean of a getaway as you can. But of course, Han is still sad because he's like, I mean, that I, sh- I would normally be whooping and happy about this, but I don't I don't have my Chewbacca and I'm sad about my Wookiee. I miss my Wookiee. Oh. All right, everybody, we're going to have to make an unscheduled stop at Kashiak. <laughs> I I'm look. Just, I can't fly this without a Wookiee. I gotta go pick one up real quick. I gotta go. I gotta go use my Wookiee spare. Don't worry. He's in one of the smuggling compartments. <laughs> All right, Kabanka, get in here. Oh no! It's the return of Kabanka. <laughs> I don't like working with you either. You're not Ham Jello. <laughs> oh, Ham Jello and Kabanka, I love you. I don't even remember what that's from. Uh, just us being stupid. Oh, good. Okay, that's good to hear. Yeah, it's not. It's not a stolen thing or anything. It's an original oh. bit from us. How rare is that? <laughs> well, anyway, he does. Sadly, he doesn't actually have a kabanka in storage to haul out and, mar- and put him in the co-pilot seat. So he goes backstage on the ship a little bit to get Recon and have him come forward and be his co-pilot. And that's when we come to. Complication number three of this cha- of this chapter. Recon is dead. Yeah, he is in a pool of his own blood on that little Dejaric board, and he has been shot in the back with what Han recognizes as like a a phaser or a blaster set to like an extremely low tight beam, so that it can just kind of like do a puncture in someone. Yeah, yeah. It's a quiet way to kill someone, basically, instead of making a big, loud blaster noise. Now, ultimately, this is definitely Rakan's fault for, in the middle of combat, going and sitting at the goddamn chessboard. <laughs> what were you doing, Rakan? Go help somebody. Uh... Um, but Han's like, ah, crap. He was right about there being a traitor, and now he probably knew who the traitor was and all this Star's End shit and everything. And now I know nothing other than there's an authority traitor on my ship. And. You know, Han at least immediately starts dealing with it. Uh, Torm comes up from the bottom turret, and he's just got his gun on him already, and he's like, all right, hand your gun over. You're, <laughs> we, uh, we got a murdered dude on our hands, and fuck everyone, you're all suspects. <laughs> There's been a murder aboard this Millennium Falcon, and I suspect the murderer is aboard this very Millennium Falcon. <laughs> I told you he was going to have to go all Poirot. <laughs> uh, I suspect the Wookiee. Uh, he got kidnapped by Espos. Oh, you've made me sad. You're my number one suspect now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he does the same thing when uh, Atuare comes down and is like, yo, dude's dead. Give me your gun. <laughs> Now, Torm reacts very sensibly. He just gives Han Solo his gun and sits down. Uh, but he does try to blame the other two, obviously. He's like, look, it's obviously that cub. That It's the cub. Um, but Atuare, because she's, you know, a proud warrior species or whatever, is like, how dare you point a gun at me? Yeah. But, you know, as soon as uh, Han tells her that Rakan is dead, she's like, oh, fuck. And, you know, gives up the gun and... Paka the Cub has then got a gun trained on Han. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it takes a few minutes, because at, fir- at first he he gets the two of them to sit down, and they start yelling at each other over who the traitor is, and that's Torm and Atuare. And then Paka, who had been sent to the back of the ship to look for a med kit, comes up with the med kit in one hand and a gun in the other. Yeah. And they're just like, uh, Bollocks is just like, uh, Captain, uh, Solo, your attention, please. <laughs> There's a murder child aboard. Captain, I think he wishes to put Captain Solo in the cargo hold. (laughs) You should tell him no disintegrations. (laughs) I want this one alive. Uh, Uh, Anyway. So, yeah. The problem is he can't kill Han. They need a pilot. So 
what if this doesn't work? Well, uh, Atuari is just like, oh, uh, he's just doing that because you're threatening me, and so he's trying to protect me. So just, you know, I'll call to him to come over and yeah. tell him to give you the gun. Mm -hmm. And this does work. Like, Han's like, all right, well, look, call him over there to you immediately. Have him drop the gun. And Paka does all that, and then just goes over and sits by his mom. So we got a mystery on our hands, folks. A and mystery most foul. And so he's like, all right, until I figure out which one of you dumb idiots d did this, I'm putting you all in the airlock, and I swear to God, if I come back and one of you is injured or dead, I'm spacing everyone else and I don't even care. Yeah. Yeah. So he's like, don't get comfortable with each other and don't try to hurt each other. Just sit in there. I want you uh, to sit there and think about what you've done. So that's what happens. The two of them sit down in the airlock. Han goes back to where Bollocks and Blue Max are, and they are hanging around with the body of Rakan. Han's like, okay, we got to move this because I don't want it, you know, staining up my coffee table. Yeah, we got to, you know, get rid of the body because I don't just want a dead guy hanging out here. Yeah, and when they move him, oh, of course, just like in any good murder mystery scenario, the corpse has left a clue. Indeed. He has written... Stars N Midas 7. Obviously, that's the name of a planet, Midas 7, the seventh planet in the Midas system. Hmm. And Stars End must be the name of the secret prison. He did have the information. Ha ha! He figured it out before he was killed. Now, Bollocks uh, is like, oh, well, obviously, Captain, he intended that message for you. You were the only person on the ship besides myself that he could trust. Yeah, and he figured that you would be armed and ready to deal with things. It's your ship. No one was going to kill you. And you would definitely be the one cleaning this up, which means you would see it. Mm. So naturally, he left the message for you, Captain. Captain, Rakan was a great man, was he not? <laughs> Sir, Rakan was overwhelming, is he not? <laughs> I mean, that's kind of a data thing. Granted, this book is older than TNG by, by what, seven years? But, uh... But but still, the kind of a data thing to be like, Captain, I'm musing on the nature of greatness. Would you say that he was a great man or the greatest man? <laughs> Han's like, what are you talking about? Why are you asking me about his greatness? I don't know. And Bollocks, because Bollocks is basically just a sort of uh, literal droid, is like, well, sir, he had a purpose larger than himself. He had goals that he did not mind dying to accomplish. Is this not the definition of greatness? Yeah, and I mean, it's also coming from Bollocks's point of view, where he's like, oh, the best thing you can do is have a purpose. Because his whole thing is like, I don't yeah. want to be obsolescent, I don't want to just be, like, rusting somewhere, my whole purpose in life is to have a purpose, and so someone like Rakan, who was like, oh, yeah, he was very driven, he had a thing he was willing to die for, like that even outside of, like, the definition of greatness, would be greatness to Bollocks. Exactly, yeah. Bollocks' musing is basically pretty well character-driven. But Han doesn't have time for, you know, philosophizing, so he's just like, I have no idea whether or not he was a great man. Just help me move his body. I am, however, going to shoot him out the auxiliary airlock, because I don't have any place to put a dead guy. <laughs> sure you do. you got lots of smuggling compartments. One of them's got to be dead guy-grade refrigerated. <laughs> he's like also i just you know don't want a dead guy on my shit i just don't want this i don't know prop him up in the co-pilot seat and cover him with a bunch of fake wigs we'll see how that works <laughs> put a shag carpet over this guy and we'll see what i like <laughs> but captain what is a fake wig yeah i mean is that just a wig that isn't really a wig uh, it's a wig that isn't made of real hair it's fake oh, hair. okay <laughs> All right, that's good. Uh, so, yeah, he spaces Rakan's body, and then he's got his everything he needs to formulate his find-the-traitor plan, because this is a short story, so we can't stretch that. Yeah. Now, you know, he's going to go back in there and be like, All right, everybody, uh, we've got stuff to do. Nobody gets to have a gun but me. You're all going to do jobs, and I swear, if any of you looks funny at anyone, I will murder you. But let's go. And he lets them out. But first he stops Torm uh, after the other two have gone. Yeah, because he, he assigns Atuare and Paka to go to the kitchen and make food for everybody. And Atuare, to her credit, is like, what? No, fuck you. You're just doing that because I'm a woman. <laughs> and he's like, 
fuck you. I don't care. Sure, whatever. I don't care. I don't. I don't have time for that debate right now. And she's like, I am an Ox- I am a Triani Ranger, not a drudge. I wanted to be like, yeah, and I'm a spaceship captain, but I got to make my own goddamn ramen noodles all the time. <laughs> <laughs> But he sends the two of them off to go do... He's really just splitting everybody up. Yeah, because he's going to go up to Torm and be like, Hey man, here's your gun back. I know that it isn't you, and I think it's probably Paka, because when they... uh, Like, when the corporate authority took him and did crazy nonsense to him, the reason he doesn't speak is because he's been brainwashed! We've got yeah, a Manchurian yeah. candidate situation on our hands. And he's also like, I think it's probably Paka because you think it's probably Paka. So, or, or at least that's the, the theory that you floated to me. So that's the one that you're most likely to go along with. Well, I mean, we don't know that now. Uh, I mean, ultimately, that's going to be the case. But but Torm's like, yeah, you're right, Captain. You and I have to stick together. And then he's like, okay, so listen here, Torm. He gave us a message. He said that... The prison is at the at the Star's End casi- or uh, prison complex on Midas Six. Now write that down. Keep it in your head. And then he goes off to. We don't see it, but he basically has to go have the same conversation with everybody else. Oh yeah, because I mean, the book sort of leaves you there, going like, "Oh man, I that's weird." Because there is as much as Jeff is making it out to be like he's scheming here, it does just seem like he genuinely believes Storm is innocent. And is oh like, no, I know. I am going after said- Paka. But but he says Midas 6, which if we read the previous part of the same chapter, we know it's actually Midas 7. So we know he's scheming, or he's wrong, he's bad with Roman numerals, maybe? I mean, he immediately wiped down the table and got rid of it. So he may have been like, oh shit, what was the number again? Midas, Midas something? <laughs> I, I don't know, man. I, I read a lot of murder books, so whenever I see someone giving selectively incorrect information, I'm always like, aha, it's a scam, a trap. <laughs> I mean, to me, my favorite part of this is the implied section, uh, because what's going to happen, we we jump to the next conversation. We skip over the part where he goes and gives wrong information to both uh, Atuari and Paka, and he does it individually. So that what that means is that there has to be a moment where he's like, hey, Atuari, I'm going to walk away with your kid. Just let me let me just take your kid. Well, I mean, we already had a point where she was separated from him when he went to go get a med pack. It's not like he couldn't go. Hey, go get me a whatever, and then leave and go meet him. <laughs> I guess, but even then, she, he has to, like, corner Paka in a room and be like, Look, Paka, you're the only one I can trust. I know you can't talk and you're a kid, but listen here. Uh, <laughs> we're going to Star's End Prison on the planet Midas 4. Remember that. It's super important that you, a nine-year-old, have this information. A <laughs> mute nine-year-old. <laughs> uh... I just, that's the scene I wanted. <laughs> it's implied by the chapter but i really wanted it to be made text yeah because the next thing we get is they're all sitting around a bunch of different terminals and he's like all right we're headed to star's end all of us are going to look up in different things stuff about uh star's end so you know you're gonna look up whatever non-redacted stuff that we have from the corporate authority you're gonna look up like planetary information and so on he's like all right everyone go ahead and start your searches and then they do like this and nothing happens i like this part too because it implies that part of the falcon is three computers that aren't like you can't see their screens from each other it's basically his traitor detection room oh no he's just got like three laptops set up somewhere there's no laptops in star wars oh he's got a land party room don't you worry about that (laughs) i'm sorry he's got a hand party room hey (laughs) i definitely has one of those all right guys hang on we're gonna play a couple of games of quake 2 and tribes and then i'm gonna figure out which one of you is the traitor (laughs) all right real quick we're we're gonna do some uh alien versus predator matches and then we'll get around to actually figuring out who the traitor is all right we're gonna play a warcraft 3 variant where you're allowed 15 minutes to build up your defenses before you have to go before you're allowed to raid the other enemies no zerg rushes (laughs) and then then i swear to god we're gonna figure out who the traitor is Uh... now pass me the bugles it is time for me to use the undead to crush you oh so after everyone puts in their information he's like ha ha now turn your screens around it's time to play password. 
So all of them have different Midas's that they have been told. So they've got like Midas eight and Midas five. And he's like, aha, but look at Torm's face. Oh, why don't you turn that around? See, you put in Midas seven, even though I told you Midas six, because you already knew what the planet was, which is a weird thing for me. Why he would do that. I would have gone for a second fo- follow-up confirmation myself, because it could easily be like, oh, yeah, sorry, whoops, and then just draw one <laughs> typo. Sorry. Oops. Might be. <laughs> you, you should have given him something that wasn't one Roman numeral away from the correct thing, so he doesn't have plausible deniability. Plus, it's weird to me that he would actually put that in, because if, like, Han comes up to me and goes like, oh, Star Zen is at minus six, and you know it's minus seven, you're like... Yes, definitely Midas 6. Yeah, exactly. For him to be like, oh, he just meant to say Midas 7. I'll go ahead and just put Midas 7 here. Let <laughs> me just do Han's work for him. Yeah, it's uh, uh, it's real weird. It's a, it's an extremely, it's a Scooby-Doo stupid moment for Torm, basically is what it is. But yeah, he gets all like pale and is like, no, oh, oh, no. Han, Han, we can make a deal. And that's when Paka attacks, the, uh, attacks Torm. Yeah, look, we're both men of business, you and I. We're not so different. <laughs> Can we not come to some manner of arrangement? Perhaps in your Han party room. <laughs> uh, so, yes, uh, gets attacked by Paka, tries to uh, essentially take Atuari hostage or kill her, but mm-hmm. is uh, straight wrecked by Paka and then, you know... He just runs, and Han's like, all right, buddy, it's my ship. I don't know where you're going. Well, he locks himself into what he thinks is probably a storage closet, but it's actually the auxiliary airlock that Recon got dumped out of earlier. Yep, and we get a good final moment there between the two of them where he's basically just pleading like, look, you said you always look out for number one. I'm just doing the same thing. We both are business people. You want money? I will get so much goddamn money from the corporate authority over this. I'll give you whatever you want. They took my uh, father and brother, but that just means I'm now in charge of the business and make a shitload of money, too. Like That's another turn heel moment for him, because uh, Atuari is trying to find some humanity in this situation. So she's like, I don't understand. Why would you betray us? Didn't they also kidnap your father and brother? And Han has to be like, yeah, stupid. His older brother and father. He is now the sole heir of his father's farm fortunes. Yeah. So at this point, Han has to, you know, Literally look himself in the mirror reflection of the glass there and be he's like talking to the hand in the mirror. Oh, yeah, <laughs> he's he's asking him to change his ways. And he's just like, am I am I the kind of person that only looks out for number one? I've got to really do some self-reflection at my reflection. Oh, wait, hold on. I just thought of a cool line. Ask Recon. Boop. And out goes Torm. As now they're at hyperspeed. Yeah, so he goes flying into hyperspace, which is different from regular space, so I have no idea what happened to that guy. Well, uh, it depends on which expanded universe novel you're willing to read. There's a thought process that maybe he is uh, devoured by the hyperspace creatures, or that he could go to the Sith Hell, which is part of hyperspace. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of theories here. (laughs) But the book's pretty straightforward about it. He just gets disassembled because he's not supposed to exist in non-reality. Yeah, he gets dumped out into hyperspace, and he's like, oh, yeah, bodies probably shouldn't be out here. Yeah, there's force fields around spaceships when they're going through hi- hyperspace, so as soon as he leaves the, ho- the force field, his atoms just come apart because they don't make any sense as a coherent thing. Seems like it's probably not the most painful way to go, at least. He just sort of ceases to be. Yeah, I mean, getting atomized is probably not that bad. I guess, and that's the end of him. Uh At this point, unfortunately, they are very short on leads. They know where Midas 7 is, they know what Star's End is, and they actually go right out there and park several hundred light years away from it uh, in an asteroid field in the same planetary cluster, just kind of looking at it and being like, well, now what do we do? God damn it, it's a super fortified, ultra-secret, top-security mega-prison. So for several days, they are, well, they don't call them days, they call them what time space units? units or whatever <laughs> time cycles i think it was time parts 
Ah, no, there are many time minutes and we must use our nutrition food well. (laughs) But yeah, they just uh, spend the equivalent of several days just parked out front looking at the place. And eventually Adewari comes in and she's like, hey, no further amount of research that you do by staring at the place is going to make Chewbacca come walking out of it. We need to go formulate a plan. Yeah, I mean, you've just been sitting here looking at it. What do you think is going to happen? And, you know, he actually has an answer for himself. He's He's been thinking it for the past several days, which is he's just sitting there trying to stave off the urge to fly in shooting. Yeah, he's like, okay, I got to remember what Reckon said. <sighs> if I go in there like a big dumb idiot, which is my normal way of doing things, I will die and Chewie will also die. Okay, okay, keep your shit together. Let's do this. Yeah, and so he... Grumpily agrees to go sit down at the Tajarik table, and he is handed a bowl of, like, ramen, because they are down, they have run out of fresh food on the Falcon, and they've been eating off the reserves for a couple of days. Yeah, they're just and, on those uh, emergency rations, so he's got, like, that MRE <laughs> chicken tetrazzini. <laughs> Man, don't you knock chicken tetrazzini. When you're backpacking, that shit is good. <laughs> <laughs> It is the one uh, MRE for some reason that always comes to mind when I think of them. I think it's because there are a couple things that you can get in freeze-dried packing food form like that for backpacking and stuff that you never see anyone make otherwise. <laughs> like, y- you never sit down to a to a regular meal of chicken tetrazzini at your own house. No. Uh, but you see it commonly as a freeze-dried food option. It's the same thing with chicken a la king. Mm-hmm. Like, no one, no one's ever like, come on in, we're having chicken a la king for dinner. I spent all day making it, and we're going to eat it right here in a house. But <laughs> freeze-dried chicken a la king, that, that happens a lot. Yeah. Uh, although, in Star Wars, we know what MREs are. They are pepperoni sticks, or they are <laughs> they are corn bleached white corn pops that you trade to an Ewok. Yeah. Dude, I want some corn pops. That sounds great right now. Oh, dude, some corn pops. You know, you can you can make Rice Krispie treats out of any kind of cereal, right? How do you feel like a Rice Krispie or, or a corn pop treat would be? I mean, I feel like it would be okay, but I don't know that the marshmallow and the corn pop would go particularly well together. Now, the They're Golden right Graham there. treat is fucking amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's way up there on the pantheon of treats. The, go- the Golden Graham treat, I would say, is right up there at the top with the... Uh, cocoa pebble treat yeah man i mean especially if you get a golden graham treat and you put some chocolate in there oh baby you've got yeah, a treat is, i mean that's just a that that's just a reinvented s'more and it's fucking amazing yeah it's real i think good. we've had i think we've had this discussion before but it never hurts to, to hash it out there's obviously two tiers of good cereal and one of them is cereal that you put milk in and the other is cereal that you eat out of the box with your hand like a goddamn animal <laughs> And the True. two aren't the two aren't necessarily an overlap. In fact, there's significant differences between the two. Oh yeah, I uh, mean. So, what's your top three for each one? And I'll do the same, and then we'll get back to the episode for the, like for the two categories to. of yeah, 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 things yeah. in milk and things you eat out of the box, like a goddamn animal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like one of my very top that I want in milk, and I just don't really at all want to eat out of the box is cinnamon life cereal. Oh, interesting. Okay. All right. It's not great for snacking for me, but mm-hmm. it is a great, like, actual breakfast cereal with milk. All right. I can see that. Uh, number two for it has to just be in the category of good in milk and not otherwise, Kicks. I like Kicks. Yeah, Kicks are fine. And you're right. They are better in milk. Yeah. And number three, I'm probably going to have to go with this is a. A weird one that I enjoy, which is just the uh, the Cracklin' Oat Bran. Okay. That shit is delicious in mm-hmm. milk. All right. Yeah, that's fair. I think you've got it down. Uh, for for the in-milk category, my number one is going to be uh, Crunchberry-equipped Cap'n Crunch. There you go. Uh, and again, I think we don't really need to go into the details of why it's an in-milk cereal, because it's made out of oat razor blades. Yes, and, you need a you, little bit of softening there, or else you're just like, mmm, steel wool. I hate my mouth. <laughs> uh, uh, number two for me, for things I prefer, I, it's one of my favorite cereals in milk, is uh, Honey Nut Cheerios. Okay, yeah, that's good. I, I don't mind them by the handful, but in milk, they just they, they just pick up an extra sweetness that I really appreciate. 
Uh, and my number three for in milk snacking is going to be. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, frosted flakes for my. For, no, not frosted. I'm sorry. What I'm saying. Uh, the, what's the God? My, the leprechaun one. Help me out here, John. Lucky Charms. No, I I understand Lucky Charms. I get that. I mean, especially because for me, eating Lucky Charms is an entire process where you have to like <laughs> eat all the cereal bits and then you get to eat all the marshmallow as dessert. I have spent my whole life trying not to do that. It's just sort of like I I understand. I there was one point where I forced myself to just eat cereal like a goddamn normal human being with Lucky Charms mm-hmm. and I was like, "That well that was garbage. I'm never doing that again." <laughs> I, I mean, I understand. There's a visceral joy to dodging the marshmallows, to eating those little, what, like, what are the oat shapes? They're like Jesus fish and crosses. Yeah, I have no idea what those shapes are supposed to be, <laughs> but you get them and you're just like, great, I'm basically eating a slightly worse Cheerios, and then when I'm done, I get a whole bucket of marshmallows. Well, marshmallow-esque uh chalk bricks oh i love those <laughs> hey don't get me wrong those are so i'm not good. insulting them they're in my top three of cereals with milk after all i'm just saying that <laughs> i'm just saying that calling them marshmallows feels weird given that they have the consistency of like aerated chalk well yeah i mean it's freeze-dried marshmallows yeah, yeah. okay so that's our top three for out for in milk and your top three for out of milk out by the hand like an animal uh okay so just snacking things that are great i really love uh i mean golden grams are good don't get me mm-hmm. wrong. I'll just eat handfuls of golden Sure, grams. sure. Uh, Cinnamon Toast Crunch. There's one of my top amazing. three right there, yeah. I mean, honestly, in or out, I'll take Cinnamon Toast Crunch. I don't care. It's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, I would probably say that the you don't find it anymore. Oh, is it going to be Rice Krispie Treats uh, cereal? Yes. <laughs> Because Rice Krispie Treat cereal was great for that. It really was. I mean, it wasn't. It didn't have the consistency of a Rice Krispie Treat. It was too dry, but it was so good. And they were like the right kind of asteroidy nugget size and shape to 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 be satisfying to crunch on. Exactly. You'd reach in there, you'd get a nice little nugget, and you'd be like, "Mmm, delicious." My mom got so addicted to those that even after they got discontinued in the U.S., she would like order them from other countries where it was still available. Oh, I I remember I texted you a few years ago when I found them in Wisconsin because I was just like, oh my God, they exist somewhere. Yeah, I remember I came I came home once to my to or to visit my my parents and there were three boxes of it sitting on the counter in like Spanish and my mom was like, oh yeah, I got those from uh from from somewhere in, in Central America. <laughs> She's like, oh I found three boxes of those on a website that sells Panamanian food or something like that. It was amazing. She's like, what? They're really good. Uh, okay, so my top three out of cereal, uh, number one, Cinnamon Toast Crunch. And and for me, it is an out-of-milk-only cereal. I can't – I don't like it in milk. It, it oh, sogs up too fast. That's okay. I get mm-hmm. it. But, you know, I do like it in milk as And then well. Frosted Flakes. You get, that, you get that horchata when you're done. I know, but I'm not a big fan. I, I try to – I'm so low on milk when I put milk in cereal that I try to not have any left. Okay. I know that's weird. I know that that makes me the weird guy. I'm not trying to defend that is the right way to eat cereal or anything, but I, I try to put in enough milk that I don't have a bowl of milk at the end. No, I always overfill, so I have milk at the end. See, the thing is, I don't like milk that's been out for a while, so I just, it's not cold enough. My, I want my milk to be like, this would freeze. So what you... What you do is you get a, a bowl of cereal, you put the milk in there, once you're done, you've got a little bit left, and then you freshen it with some milk out the fridge, so it's cold. Ah, you, it's, so it basically turns into feeder milk, like you were making a sourdough starter. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> or you could just take the bowl of extra milk and put it back in the fridge for an hour, and then have that as a treat later. Ooh, a yummy treat. <laughs> you know, you miss one Honey Nut Cheerio, and now it's the size of a life preserver. <laughs> uh oh my so the second and third for me are frosted flakes and uh oh shoot i had it in my head a minute ago and and now it is gone oh well uh corn pops corn pops frosted flakes and cinnamon toast crunch my three in, in, that are out of milk onlys great all right now back to the show <laughs> and now back to the Asuari show suggests so- contacting jessa who we haven't heard about for a while because this is a short story but han's like no jessa pulled up stakes after she got attacked and she's in the wind. I have absolutely no idea where her whole outlaw tech organization is. We could spend. Oh yeah. We could, we would spend like a month looking for them and maybe find 
some clue. And even if we did, we'd be dealing with them having month-old information. This is we're we're already at the place. We need to deal with the place. Yeah. Uh, and so he's like, I, I don't know. I have no idea how we're going to do this. And that's when Bollocks picks up a kind of a space transmission, a phone call, and. Uh, well, I mean, it's not it's not really Bollocks. It's the ship. Gets oh, okay, it. a ship. The, the ship picks up a transmission, and and Bollocks and Blue Max let Han know. Uh, there's some little, there's yeah. some minor conversation there where, where the, the, uh, encryption is, or the, tra- the transmission is encrypted and Blue Max just on the fly decrypts it because he's a genius super robot. Well, there's basically two things that go out, encrypted messages and plain text messages. Yes. And the plain text messages are all just shit that are super boring so that no one comes out here. Yes, exactly. But the encrypted message is an apology. It's an apology from the director of the uh, Corporate Sector Authority Entertainers Guild because a a troop of entertainers that were scheduled to visit Star's End and put on a show uh, are unavailable. They have had to cancel. Yeah. And the apology specifically notes that the unique and specific type of droid that was requested is the is the problem and that's why it's going to take them a while to send a replacement but they will do so as soon as they possibly can yeah and of course han immediately is like sweet this is great this is us and they're like no they they called for performers yeah no we're performers yeah. now who gives i've already watched paka do a whole bunch of crazy flips and shit he's an acrobat done Paka, you want to be an acrobat? And Paka wordlessly begins doing a flawless floor routine. Uh-huh. So that's clearly been his goal for his entire little tiny Paka life. Uh, he looks at Atuare, who is a sexy cat lady, and is like, perfect, you'll be our sexy cat lady. And Paka... And Paka's like, eh? Makes dancing motions. He's like, what? You're a dancer? Nice. I am uh, not unskilled in the rights of my people. Yeah, give me them sexy cat dance. Captain, this will not work. I will not be surprised. <laughs> what? What's wrong with you? Tracy! <laughs> uh, oh, anyway, she she has the standard stoic warp response. Uh, and then they're like, but what about the droid that they request? He's like, whatever, bollocks. You know a whole bunch of stories and jokes and nonsense because you've been everywhere. We're going to make you a storyteller droid, and if they think, oh, but we wanted a juggler, we'll just tell them, oh, oops. Yeah, so take it up with the Entertainers Guild. Here we are. Uh, so, <laughs> but the, the, I like that they did set this up a little bit beforehand. I mean, like, over the past ten days, Han has learned that Bollocks, because he's been everywhere, and because at some point someone uploaded a bunch of jokes to him, uh, is actually a rad dude to have on a ship because he just has a great deadpan delivery. He knows a million jokes and he has even more stories. Yeah. So, he, you know, everything's great. They're all going to go down there. And then they're like, well, what are you going to do? And he's like, ah, I don't know. I'll <laughs> Who figure cares? It out. <laughs> I'll be whatever. I'm the least important part of this. <laughs> Hello, I'm here to bring the Han party room style of entertainment. You guys have a Han party room, right? <laughs> Oh, obviously. <laughs> it's occupied at the moment. <laughs> Occupado. Uh, I'm sorry. In Han party, r- party rooms, we say Han Cupado. <laughs> uh, anyway, he, he'll he be a marksman. He'll be a trick shooter type guy because he's a master trick shooter. Yeah. And... That's, a, that's a thing that you'll find that these books tend to focus on a little bit more as compared to future depictions of Han Solo and other media. They're really into him being a gunman. Yeah, because that was sort of the one thing he had. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone else was like, oh, I'm a ridiculously powerful Jedi, or I've got amazing pull, and I'm a princess, and I've got political authority. And he's like, I have a gun. Well, yeah. It, but I'm very good at gun. When this movie was made, the one, like, I mean, he did all the infiltration of the first Death Star. He flew the Falcon really well. But the memorable thing was that time he shot Greedo. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a point in this where he even says that he prefers to shoot first rather than second. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Man, the fact that this was written before that was a controversy is amazing <laughs> to me. It's true. I mean, back then there wasn't even a question about whether or not Han would wait to, for Greedo to miss him. He was just like, no, no, fucking Han is a murderer if he needs to be. Yeah, no, he realized what was going to happen, and he's like, well, time to kill yeah. you. So uh, so he's going to be the, the official marksman gunner of, of, uh, uh, of the troop. Now, they immediately make the decision, this is weird, that they don't need to use fake names because their names aren't in the Corporate Sector Authority database yet. I feel like yet is not an important word in that sentence. Yeah, I mean, especially when you go like, okay, 
it's weird to me that none of their names, I mean, at least Paka and Atuari would not be in the database since they stole her husband. You'd think they would be like, note, these are the people that would like care that we took this Didn't person. They also kidnap Paka and torture him until he was mute. You'd think. They, I mean, they 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 would keep a record. They would just write his name down somewhere. And even if, even if by by some coincidence, all three of them are not on any corporate sector authority radar in any way at all, I still don't want them to have my name in the future. Yeah, I mean, Han at least is like, no, they know who I am. I'm not going to use Han. Yeah, I mean, but you know, we'll tell them Atuari and Bollocks and Paka. But why? Why? I mean, just call her princess lady princess kitty butt or something like that don't there's there's no need there's no need to feed them your real name i guess it's because she's a terrible actor and she's like look if people keep calling me ginger i'm not gonna look around you're gonna have to stamp on my foot and say hello miss ginger (laughs) except she keeps complaining like oh you should really do the talking i'm not one for acting and then immediately once the ramp is down she's like oh i'm on yeah she basically turns into jajaka board it's great like i i like how how direct and uh and good at this she actually is yeah she complains but she's immediately just like aha uh-huh, welcome everyone i'm an amazing actress and you're like what the <laughs> fuck is happening so they get they get dressed up with costumes made out of crap from the falcon uh I'm wearing a tent. Yeah, literally, they cut up a tent and use the silver part for for uh, Atuari's cape and the blue part for Han's cape. <laughs> I mean, you'd think he'd just go to that cape room that, that Lando left on the Falcon and get some of the capes out of it. Oh, please. Like, he still has any of those left. <laughs> hey, we watched Lando walk away from that. Granted, that was, that was 40 years after this book was written, but still. Uh, okay, so... They go walking down the ramp to be greeted by Espo guards who had no idea they were coming because all that the message from the Entertainers Guild said was, we're sorry, we will let you know when a replacement is available and that they are on their way. And Han's plan is to be like, oh, did they forget to tell you we were on our way? Here we are. Yeah, because it's much better to do that than to try and, you know, fake a communication uh, or anything weird. So he's just like, what we're going to do is hyperspace in from just a little bit outside just so it looks like we're arriving from you know distant rather than this asteroid field and then just show up and be like hey we're supposed to be here yeah we'll just breeze through them let confidence be the way that we get through this yeah and he he gives otawari some acting tips he's like look just act like the assholes from the corporate sector authority that occasionally visited your home planet yeah if you've ever seen a celebrity just be that dumb and happy and smug just do those and so she just, like I said, she does a, a picture-perfect Jaja Gabor routine the moment she is within eye shot of uh, the Espos. She's like, ah, we're welcome, darlings. Hello, hello. And, like, takes... Oh, what a grand welcome with a, a personal honor guard, because it is just dozens of Espos with guns out. Yeah, and then she kind of announces that she's an entertainer, uh, and... <laughs> She starts introducing the cast of characters as they come walking down the, uh, the the ramp, dressed in their ridiculous circus costumes, and and you know the uh, the actual person in charge here at the moment is like, oh yeah, no, the uh, the vice president is super super mean when he doesn't get his uh, entertainment. So uh, I guess I'll take it yeah, to thank him. Thank goodness that you guys came because otherwise this would have been a real pain in the ass of a month. Uh, I assume the droid is the specific type of ridiculous droid he wants because he's looking at Bollocks, who, again, is, you know, kind of looks like balls. And and uh, he has a cocked eye to this because that, that clearly can't be the special issue droid that would be required. But they assure him, it's cool, it's cool, that's our special droid. <laughs> that's our special boy. Uh, and they are marched through the facility. Now, Han gets a look at the outside of the Star's End prison facility, sees that they haven't had time to mine into the asteroid to create tunnels yet, so everything's done with surface umbilicals. And the Yeah, and he also sees that the the main tower there is just all bonded alloy? Yeah, it's a single piece of molecularly bonded, dense, super dense metal. Uh, he says the moment he goes inside, I am now in the most expensive building I have ever been in or seen. Yeah, he's like, the amount of money it would take to make an entire giant tower be one piece of molecular bonded metal is outstanding. 
for how expensive Now, that does kind of run counter to another thing he says on the way in, which is that the, the prison appears to have multiple levels docking clamps to it, like... The top part is held on to the the middle part by a docking clamp, which is held on to the bottom part by a docking clamp. Well, no, there's there's rings around the central tower is what it ah, is. Okay. Uh, but anyway, this building has incredibly dense, super strong armor and is of a single piece. It's insanely expensive. And uh, they get led in and now it's time to meet the vice president. I'm sorry, the vice prex. <sighs> the vice prex. Thank you. <laughs> Vice Prex Herkin. Ugh, I hate that. <laughs> I'll hear you. Uh, I'll hear you uh, say nothing mean about the Herkin Armada. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yes, Vice Prex mm-hmm. Herkin shows Vice up. Vice Prex is one of my favorite cereals and... to eat with milk. By the way, <laughs> uh, I prefer Corn Prex. <laughs> well, that's good to make Prex mix. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, so he greets them and is like, oh, wonderful. Uh, it's, it's great to see you. I'm so glad that you could show up. This is, of course, the gladiator droid that I ordered. Yes. I like to watch droids fight. <laughs> Apparently that's his thing you is know, to watch robots beat up other robots. Oh yeah. Cause he's like, oh, it's terrible to watch a sentient being fight another sentient being because they have some manner of self-preservation robots will just go ham on each other Yeah, and also they won't ever show mercy to each other it's just watches one robot grinds up another one yep and he's like i've got a mark 10 murder bot that i want to have fight stuff i mean i guess has your bot fought a one of mine and they're like uh he has never fought a Mark 10, no. He looks like he's a piece of crap, monkey-shaped labor robot. Are you sure he's a war robot? And they're like, oh, yes, he's a custom-built gladiator droid, and we call him Annihilator. And, you know, Bollocks right away is like, yes, indeed, nothing I love more than destroying and killing for my masters. Bollocks is the best droid, I'm just going to say it. Uh, but, but... Yeah, no, he is, he is just like, yeah, no, whatever, fuck it, <laughs> I, I get it. I'm not C-3PO. I'm not going to turn around and be like, what are you talking about? I've never fought anyone in my life. I'm not equipped to fight people. Master Luke. <laughs> <laughs> no, Bollocks is just like, yep, that's me, Annihilator. Uh-huh. That's what they calls me. To kill is to serve. That's what I always says, Master. <laughs> it's it's amazing. He's a good character. Uh, <laughs> he just goes right along with it. Now, as they introduce Han, Han has already turned over his gun to the Espo security because... Uh, be, having a gun was supposed to be part of his costume because he's a master gunman. Uh, but when he gets introduced to Vice Prex Herkin, he's like, they're like, hey, this is our master gunman. He does trick shots and daring do. And Herkin's like, oh, we have one of those. And then this slippery Randall looking for a uh, Randall from uh, from uh, to, to, Randall Boggs. Yes, he looks like from Monsters, Monsters Inc. Inc. Thank you. That's what I was trying to get at. Yeah. Randall from Monsters, Inc. Lizard guy comes slinking out, and he's like, ah, a gunman, you say? Those are very important in these books, and I know, because I am one. Yeah, and, you know, Harkin's just like, oh, well, I guess, you know, maybe we'll set up a contest between the two of you later, see how you both do, since you're both cool marksmen and yeah, whatnot. Yeah, this is my... But first, murder bots. This is my marksman bodyguard, Ulrashan. And Han has to be like, oh, man. I haven't heard of a lot of people, but I've heard of Ulrashan. He is a horrible murder assassin that does not give a shit and will do anything for and money. And he uses a power holster, which is like the power glove in that it's super bad. <laughs> the power holster basically is like a spring-loaded gun launcher that, he's, that he shoots. So he shoots his gun into his hand. Yeah. Uh, we also get <laughs> the Vice Prex's wife. Oh, right. Who yeah. is uh, just a... a very pleasant, very chunky lady. Uh-huh. Uh, they make it important that she's big and beefy. And Han, and that, Han does not Herkin like that. does not like yeah. her. Herkin hates his wife. Uh, it's just like, ugh, get out of here. I don't like you. Ugh. Ugh, I got married to you because of some stupid cultural thing. Oh, it's 100% like, oh, I'm the heir to whatever fortune. He's like, ugh, I guess I'll marry you. Yeah, but I mean, granted, be, let's be clear here. Han is really the 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 voice of of being mean to this lady for being big. Han's like, oh my gosh, some sort of parade float just came out. This is insane. Oh, she's making kiss noises. It sounds like a bug sucking on another bug. Yeah, but of course, like, 
Herkin spends the entire time just rolling oh, his yeah. eyes and, and hating un- his wife. Just staring at her with unreserved hatred, which she completely doesn't uh, notice. Yeah. Because she's like, ooh, entertainers, I want to see stuff. All we ever watch is your dumb robot fights, and that's boring and garbage. I have to assume it's super like, boring. like, woman. Because, I mean... <laughs> We haven't seen it yet, but I, I'm willing to go out on a limb and guarantee that he's the kind of guy who's going to get real pissed off if his robot loses. Oh, yeah. No, 100%. This is, I paid for a top-of-the-line murder bot, and I just like to watch it beat things up. So I have people send okay. out murder or other murder bots, but I make sure mine's the best murder bot so I never lose. And then I'm going to take some sort of perverse yeah. joy in watching my paid-for robot murder other paid-for robots. Yeah. It's it's real stupid. And very much like the book points out, this is some dumb shit for idiot rich people. Yes. Now, Atuare smoothly controls the situation by suggesting to the wife that maybe they'd like to watch the entertainers perform first, and then have the murder droid do its murder droiding. And, you know, Herkin is going to shut this down, but Han's like, oh yeah, uh, I'm also the gaffer for the group, and in the last fight, uh... Annihilator here got some of his uh, circuits damaged, so I'll just take care of that if you've got a workshop. It'll only take me a few minutes, and you guys can watch the rest of the performance. And Herkin still doesn't like this, but he's like, oh, very well, I'll watch Jugglers or whatever. I'll watch some small child flip around, but I won't like it. And Han goes off to to get parts uh, and do whatever his crazy plan is. We don't know yet, because the chapter ends before he gets to his incredible plan. Uh well, his plan involves he takes Blue Max and is like, hey, uh, don't make any noise. You're going to pretend to be parts. So I assume he's going to attempt to use Blue Max to hack something. Yeah, my guess is he's going to use Blue Max to figure out where the prisoners are in this prison so he can go rescue them. He probably also has a secondary bollocks plan, but we don't know what it is yet. I always have a secondary oh, bollocks plan. he's definitely got a bollocks plan. <laughs> I think plan. it's always important to have a primary and a secondary bollocks plan. Oh, yeah, because if that primary bollocks plan goes sideways, you got to have something to fall back yeah, on. Yeah, the first one is spread out and air them, and then the second one is tuck them up so that your legs don't squish them. <laughs> tuck them up? Pull them up, get them up there. And that's how you do it. That's how you sit normally in a subway, you jerks. <laughs> uh, uh, all right. Anyway, that's the end of the chapter. Yeah, well, we actually do get to watch Paka and Atuari perform a little bit. Uh, Paka gets like... Get, gets to go do her, his cool acrobatic routine. He has like a hoop that he took out. They took out the Falcon and made like a, a cool laser hoop. And yeah. uh, mean, while, while he's flipping around the, the performance stage, Herkin is reaching for his phone and being like, hey, get my droid that's already even readier. <laughs> <laughs> Which I always love that. That's one of my favorite tropes to see to, like, to parody it when a character like doesn't want to be there. So they keep ordering the next phase that's supposed to be stalled. And, yeah. and, and each time it's just like, have my prepared droid prepared again that I might enjoy watching it murder something. <laughs> I know that we were just on the way to watch it murder something, and it has definitely been prepared, but, you know, prepare it. Oil it up. Hey, I'm not interested in this juggler. Sweep the stage where my murder droid will murder this other murder droid. <laughs> <laughs> just, I have five or six more stalls ready, but after that, you can be rest, you can rest assured I'm going to want to go for- through with this. Hmm. <laughs> get some snacks into my droid murder room and yeah that is the end of the chapter that uh we're almost done as far as i'm aware i think there were only like 11 or 12 chapters in this book and that that took us to like eight yep there are 11 chapters in this book so we got three left yeah so we're we're uh rounding the horn on finishing up this short story it has been exciting and crackling the whole time yeah it's great we're finally at the titular star's yeah, end Yeah, we made it to star's end han solo is at star's end great <laughs> Roll credits. Uh, yeah, that's it. Was the book was called Han Solo Goes to Star's End? Yep. And now we're done. Oh wait, but the problem is it was called Han Solo and K- and Kumar Go to Star's End, and we don't have Kumar yet. <laughs> uh, Ku- all right. Kum- well, good. <laughs> yeah. Hey, are you not, are you not done listening to us yet? Then good news, you still can listen to us by going to Patreon and getting our bonus content. That's right. Two whole American dollars buys you an ass load of content yeah and if you're in albania then you can do the same thing with a lack or a euro i don't remember if they're on the euro system or not i don't know i don't know who's on the euro and who yeah, isn't. that's not my job i don't have to know that up yours for trying to make me uh but <laughs> yeah here's up yours europe meanwhile give us two dollars 
Uh, two bucks is what it takes to unlock the expanded expounded universe where we go and dig up fun stories on Wikipedia and come back and tell them to you and to each other uh, weekly because it's attached to, to expanded universe episodes. The $2 level will unlock six podcasts a month on our bonus level because you'll also get the system mastery stuff. So completely worth it. Yes, indeed. We are less than $400 away from unlocking that goal where we have to buy a pig. I don't know if you noticed that or not. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I did. I mean... Th- yeah, don't you don't you fret about that. <laughs> we are constantly on the lookout for that goal that we wrote six years ago as a joke. <laughs> Boy, I cannot wait. <laughs> we were like, that's an impossible amount of money. No one could ever make that amount of money. <laughs> that's, that's foolish. That's Rockefeller money. <laughs> And here we are, rounding the horn on it, but help us get hit that goal anyway, because oh, the schadenfreude. Uh, once again, that's patreon.com slash system mastery. Otherwise, you can find us at wherever fine podcasts are sold, uh, or on our own website, systemmasterypodcast.com, or as system mastery on Twitter, Gmail, Facebook, Reddit, that kind of crap. Thank you so much for listening. I've been your faithful host, Elan Sleazebogiano. And I love eating cereal right out the box. Like a goddamned animal. <laughs> <laughs>